We welcome you to the media ministries of the Gathering Church in the Countryside YMCA of Mainville. As we love the Lord and each other, we're trusting that God would use us to plant a church in every YMCA around the world. To this end, would you join us? We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and in community groups throughout the week. As you listen to this resource, our prayer is that your love for Jesus would grow deep and your love for others would be seen and heard. Kids, you may be dismissed at this time. Thank you for joining us. And we are in Daniel 5. So if you would turn in your Bibles with me to Daniel 5. And while you're going there, um, just kind of a one random quick announcement. We are a church that meets in the YMCA, which means that we share this space with many people. And um, there is a HOA for our neighborhood, HOA meeting in here on March 16th. And uh, we were thinking it would be really cool since since believers, non-believers, anyone in this neighborhood, they're going to come to this facility, that if, um, if we could be there and buy them all like cookies and coffee or something and just say, hey, we just want to let you know we, we're here for you uh, and we love you. And if you have any prayer requests or anything, just to be a witness, if anyone would like to be a, a representative there on March 16th, would you come and see me after the service? It would be a responsibility, I don't know, maybe like two hours here on the 16th of March. That's what I got for you. All right. Um, before we start, let me give you a promise of God's word. Okay. This is to motivate you. Uh, Jesus says in Matthew that if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, like if you want, if you want this stuff, there is a promise waiting for you. And guess what it is? That you will be satisfied. So I'm banking on the fact that we've got a hundred and plus people in this room ready and hungry and thirsty for what is about to come. And the outcome as you leave from these doors this morning will, is that your soul will be satisfied. You want that this morning? Yeah. Me too. Let's do it. Okay, so last week we saw in Daniel 4 that God pursues his people, that he does it all the time, and he does it in various means and methods. And we saw in Daniel 4 that he uses people to, to bring other people from their pride down to humility. And we saw that with King Nebuchadnezzar, right? He was really high, he was barrel chested and proud. And God used people to humble him. God used Daniel in his life to bring him high down to low, from barrel-chested down to beast. And as a result, God redeemed that man. He humbled himself. And now we can say that, that Nebuchadnezzar will probably be in heaven. We'll get to meet him one day. And the truth of it is, it doesn't always work that way. There are sometimes when people don't uh, humble themselves, they stay proud, they stay barrel-chested, they, 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 they stay with a heart attitude, shaking their fist against God, and God disciplines them 
and we won't get to meet them one day. And so last week was a good lesson on how uh, God, that the principle that God humbles people, he's able to do it. But stepping back from that, from last week, my question would be, so, okay, we know principally that we're not to be proud, but we're to be humble people, that we are to walk humbly before God. But like, kind of like, I don't know, when you, 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 there's a project before you, say you want to like change the oil on your car, it's, it's, it's nice when someone says, this is actually how you do it. You get under it. This is the bolt that you turn. You want to put the pan right here so the oil doesn't like get all over your face. And someone shows you how to do it. And so I'm like, from last week going, I just want to know, how do I walk humbly with God? Lord, are you going to leave us there principally to say, so everyone, church of God, be humble. Well, it's so cool is that when a church is committed to preaching through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, that we see he, that he unfolds things for us. And today he's going to tell us how to walk humbly with God. Anyone want to know that this morning? Yes. So we're going to see three characters this morning. Three characters. One is the king. One is the queen, and one is Daniel, okay? And through those three characters this morning, and how they respond to, and this is the story where God sends a hand, there's writing on the wall. Anyone know this story? Mm-hmm. This, is, this is a great story, but, but we're going to see through those three characters examples of how to walk humbly, how to not walk humbly, And essentially, when revelation is given, how the humble surround themselves, how they orient their lives, how they order their priorities around the revelation that's given. That's what we're going to see in this story. And at the end of our time, it's real simple. We're going to say, hey, are you willing to orient your life around the revelation of God? That's going to be the question. So the title of today's sermon is Forever Clear. Forever Clear. And the timeless truth, the the truth that was true for them and is also true for us is this. This is the sermon summarized in a sentence. The people of God walk humbly with him. Watch this. By orienting their lives around God's clear revelation. We got it? Okay, so let's go ahead and start with the first character, the king. Here's what the king is going to teach us. I'm going to give you, give you it right away, okay? As we are on this, this path to discover how to walk humbly with God, the king is going to be a negative example, and he's going to teach us, don't mock God. How do you be humble towards him? Do not mock him. Let's read, starting in verse 1 of chapter 5. King Belshazzar. Okay, so we got a new king. This guy is Nebuchadnezzar's son. Quick side note. I know, I know we just read two words, but look at the faithfulness of God and how he continues to persevere in the life of Daniel. 
Daniel's been through a few kings now, and God is still helping him be faithful through boss changes, through government ups and downs, economic crisis and flourishing. Daniel essentially is like this. Hey, come what may, I'm going to follow the Lord. As for me and my house, right, says Joshua. That's what he's going to do. So new king doesn't change anything for this guy. So King Belshazzar, verse 1, made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of a thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Verse 3, then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. Pause for a second. So we saw right when we started this book together, in the first couple verses, we saw that, that the people of God were taken from the land of God, from Israel. They were put in Babylon. In verse 2, chapter 1, it says, and the vessels were brought. And we said, hey, that's, that's code language. That would big time make the news today, saying they lost and their God lost. Everyone loses. We likened it to saying, hey, this gymnast from Sweden lost, therefore Sweden loses. Or this, you know, whatever, this boxer from Germany is going to win, therefore Germany wins. Everyone lost, quote unquote, when they all went to exile. And now they're using those vessels. Those vessels come back in chapter 5, and they're using them to get drunk. Look at verse 4 with me. Not just that. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. And it got really bad in Babylon that day. Hey, young ladies in the room that aren't married yet, don't marry a guy like King like this king, okay? Like King Belshazzar. Like, this is how sin works. You, you think it starts small, and, it, and it, it is seemingly so. And it begins to grow to a point where you, you become proud that no one is finding out about it. It's this, this hidden thing. It's kind of like this pet Yorkie that you have. You just like, you think it's so nice and you just pet it. I just love my little sin. No one will know about it. But after a while, um, it grows and you become proud and you start wanting others to affirm you in your sin. And, and, and it like maybe right before that, it's just like this idea of, I want you to at least tolerate and validate my sin. Then it's affirm. And then as it grows, you become not just this like guy who's petting this little Yorkie, but you become uh, this man on a mission to recruit others to believe in the same way 
that you believe. And you encourage, endorse, and enable, and train others to join you in your sin. Young ladies, do not marry a guy like this, because this is exactly what is happening with King Belshazzar. He becomes evangelistic in his sin and starts recruiting others. If you're visiting with us today, whoo, welcome to church. We get right after it. I know, it's pretty deep, but um, I promise, I promise that you'll see that the Word of God is going to nourish you and it's going to heal your wounds. And so we're not serious just for serious sake. We really believe that God's people need need his word. And so we're dealing with the real stuff of life here. And so we're seeing that this king, he doesn't just have an eating problem or he's, it's not that he's just proud and likes to eat in front and drink in front of a thousand people. Actually, he is flaunting his drunkenness. He's flaunting his sin. And he wants others to join on in with him. Just peek at verse 4 with me again. It says, They drank wine and praised the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. And so he's flaunting his own sin, but he's also mocking God by calling and joining in with others to worship other gods. Mocking God, let's just talk about that. Mocking God is straight up knowing you're doing wrong and doing it anyways. All the while, in your heart, you're shaking your fist against God. That is mocking God. It's just the height of arrogance. So deep inside, this dude, this king, is so arrogant against God. That's what they did. They flaunted their sin. They worshiped God, gods instead of the one true God. Can we just agree it's pretty bad? Okay, so let's keep going. This is pretty bad. Here, here we are. Let's see how, how the forever king, our God, the one true God, responds in verse 5 and 6. This is, this is what makes this story super unique. Verse 5, immediately. The fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall in the king's palace, opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Verse 6, then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. Okay, so after that, the handwriting on the wall he, his knees are knocking together. He calls in all the smart people of the kingdom. Does this sound familiar? Hey, tell me what this means. Read it and interpret it. No one can do it. So Daniel is brought in. He reads and interprets it. And let your eyes skip all the way down to 24. Again, we're studying the king right now. Okay, There's two other characters that we want to talk about, but we're studying the king Watch how verse 24 through 28 uh, unfolds. Then from his presence, the hand was sent and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Mene, mene, tekel, and parsin. This is what the interpretation of the matter means. 
Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the, ba- in the balances and found wanting. Peres, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Okay, so he was given the word. He was given the revelation. It was written out for him on the wall. And this guy, because of his pride, it kept him from turning to the Lord and walking humbly with him. So here's the point. It's not that the king couldn't see it. Did you see it when we read verse 5 together? That the Daniel, the author of this book, wrote that the hand was writing. And what was opposite of the hand? Do you see it in there? The lampstand. Why do you think he included that detail? It wasn't a lighting problem in there. He could see the writing. But he wouldn't see it. It's not that he couldn't. It's that he wouldn't. He was so engrossed with himself in his sinning ways, he didn't want to. He was mocking God. If you would, quickly turn with me to the New Testament. Keep your finger in in Daniel and turn to Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. The New Testament gives some insight on, on mocking God. This is verse 7 of chapter 6. We're in Galatians. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Did we just see that? (laughs) God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap, what does your translation say? Destruction, corruption. Excellent. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Keep your finger in Galatians and Daniel. We'll come back to Galatians in just a second, okay? So friends, the king, he sows pride. He reaps destruction. He sows himself. He reaps corruption. And historically, we know that that night, the night that King Belshazzar had a feast for a thousand people and hosted a big fat drunk party, that the the Medes and the Persians, that empire was waiting outside the walls of Babylon. That night, that night. Now, whether King Belshazzar knew they were out there or not, history doesn't tell. But I think because of his pride, I think he probably knew. Historically, it's, it's talked about that the walls of Babylon were double. There were two of them and that they were unbreachable. No one could get in the city. It was unstoppable. Their empire would never crumble, right? We, we saw that in chapter two, chapter three, chapter four. And so I think he knows they're there and he stands up big and barrel chested and hosts a big fat drunk party and says, they'll never be able to touch us. And the, me, the, the, this empire, the Medes and the Persians, what they did was they traveled up river. The Euphrates River runs right through Babylon. They dammed the river a few miles up. 
And then the, built, the, wall, the wall was built right over the river and they tromped on through the mud right on, under the wall. And that evening, for King Belshazzar, destruction, judgment. He reaped pride and he got what he deserved. That night, Babylon fell. So, looking to walk humbly with God, church, I think from the king we can learn, don't mock God. So here's the progression. It goes, God's revelation comes, the king rejects, he lives for himself, destruction. This is a life that when revelation comes, is not oriented around revelation. It's not oriented around God's word. Last week we, we saw, okay, if we shouldn't do that, how should we run opposite? You remember that? Genuine repentance is, is from the heart, genuine biblical language, and turning in, in genuine repentance to run opposite, has a biblical plan to run opposite of the sin. Remember we used the, the analogy of lying? If you lie, to repent of lying means to pursue a life of ruthless honesty unto the Lord. And so if this is the case, if, we, if, we, if I just leave it at there, hey guys, don't mock God, okay? Okay, sweet, okay? But what would it look like to turn from mockery Repent of it and pursue fruits opposite of mocking God. I would say here would be a fair progression. Um, when I, when uh, we were living in Texas, this is how we taught how to walk with God uh, in a short way. So this is a little summary. It would be this. Read, pray, and then seek to obey. I know it might sound oversimplified, for the Christian life, but to read, read. That means humble yourself and get to the revelation of God. What do I mean? The Bible, the Bible. So God's people hunger and thirst for the scriptures. They want it. They want it. Get yourself around the scriptures. I know that might sound like a fundamentalist attitude to some of you, but the, 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 the athlete that keeps on returning to the fundamentals is the athlete that flourishes, right? right? Even the pros, even pro baseball players go to spring training and they work on grounders. They work on, you know, pop flies. Why? Because the fundamentals is, is the key. So we've got to expose ourselves to revelation. We've got to pray. We've got to humble ourselves, just like Paul read earlier in the service, to humble ourselves and seek him through prayer. And then seek to obey. Do you still have your finger in Galatians? Let's figure out how Paul encourages us to obey and not mock him. Okay? Look at verse 9. This is the action plan for not mocking God. It says, And let us not grow weary of well-doing, for in due season we will reap, for if we do not give up. If we do not give up. So then... As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Isn't that great? So 
Paul doesn't stop there and say, hey, just don't mock God and you'll be good. He actually says, don't mock God. Actually run opposite of mockery. And that would be to seek to do good. And who first? It's interesting what the word of God says. Who should we seek to do good to first? The household of faith. How do you know who's in the household of faith? That's why we do membership here. It's just the members, those who are connected to the head. So a great resource for you is your membership directory. <laughs> Isn't that great? So if you haven't joined yet, I would encourage you to join so that you can be a, become a recipient of God's people as they seek to do good, especially to those who are the household of faith. If you want to live a humble life, live for other people. Amen. Amen? Let's learn the queen. Let's keep going. What are we going to learn from the queen? I think what she's in here for is so that we, the people of God, would be evangelistic to everyone. That's why I think she's in here, okay? A lot of times we forget that the queen even exists in this story, but she gets a lot of ink. So let's read it and then talk about it. Verse 10, the queen, we're back in Daniel. You don't have to keep your finger in Galatians anymore. Free up that finger. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. Verse 12, because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. All right, we've never met this queen up to this point. We won't meet her again. We don't know a lot about this Lady, here's just a few things, okay? We know it's not Belshazzar's wife, okay? Because in verse 2, it says that, that the king gathered all his wives and his concubines. Uh, so it's not his wife. Uh, this, this really old dead dude named Herodotus, he was a Greek historian, he records that the wife of Nebuchadnezzar, whose name was Nitocris, was influential in the Babylonian Empire two decades after Nebuchadnezzar died. I think this is probably her, okay? So it is, it's probably um, Belshazzar's mom, okay? If you want to get humble, listen to your mom, okay? <laughs> My mom's here. Uh, if I had to guess, different than my mom, my mom is a believer. I don't think this woman is a believer, okay? I'm not going to take a bullet for it, but I think it matters in the interpretation. Um, look, at, look at it with me. She starts off with, O king, live forever, okay? Uh, you would think that people would stop saying this in, in the land of Babylon. It hasn't gone well for whoever says this, right? Um, uh, we saw it in chapter two, three. I mean, just people keep on saying it. It doesn't work. It's not true. So 
Look at verse 11 with me. It says, there is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. That too is the same kind of language that Nebuchadnezzar used when he saw Jesus in the fiery furnace. Do you remember that two weeks ago? At that point, Nebuchadnezzar was not a believer. And so I think Daniel, for us, is linking those two stories to let us know that her tone is not necessarily warm to the things of God. She's just reporting these facts and using the same kind of language. I think if Daniel wanted us to believe that she was a believer, he would have used different language. He would have distinguished it a little bit more than that. And so I just I don't think she's a believer. Look at verse 12. Here's one more argument for that. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods who were found in him. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to put her in a black hat and like, you know, diss her or whatever. But so I, I do think she has a respect for Daniel. She has uh, an acknowledgement that he's different, that he has a wisdom from above and I can't quite figure it out, but it's unearthly right? It's clear that this guy is following a God of Israel, and um, there's like this power going on here. So I don't think that Daniel is speaking in code, and he's writing to us saying, hey, church, she's a believer. I, I, I just don't. And so you got to ask, why is the queen in this narrative? What's she doing in here? Like, we're just meeting this lady, why has she been included? What is, she, what is Daniel trying to teach us by including the queen here? And I would say it's this, that even non-believers are watching us and they know the difference between genuine and not. They know the real article of faith and they talk about it. They talk about us. How does she know that? Because Daniel has been faithful in the land of Babylon. He's been faithful to follow God. He walks humbly. He shares what has been revealed to him. He doesn't assimilate into the culture beyond his conscience. Like this is a strong man unto the Lord. For me personally, up to this point, I thought that like Daniel had this strategy and he is on mission to evangelize. We're just going to use that word. I know it's not in Daniel, but he's, he's going to witness and evangelize to Nebuchadnezzar. His like MO is, I want Nebuchadnezzar to become a Christian. Have you ever heard the phrase, uh, beat the bushes? No? Just me? It comes from, mm -hmm. is it a financial term? Yeah, okay, so, so how, how it works is that you go to the bushes and you're looking for birds, okay? So you beat the bushes. And your intention is that the birds are going to fly out of the bushes that you're beating, right? But that's not often how it works. Oftentimes, you beat the bushes, but the birds don't fly out of the bushes that you're beating. They fly out of those bushes, right? So is it your job to find the birds and to get those birds to fly out of those your job is just to beat the bushes, and the birds will fly out. So Nebuchadnezzar, I'm, I'm sorry, Daniel, he's beating the bushes, meaning he's doing the work of the Lord. He's doing the ministry. And where 
Do the birds fly out? I think right here. I think the queen gives testimony of the faithfulness of God, even though she's not a believer, about Daniel. Right here. Lesson learned. You can never know when your life is going to impact a certain individual. Like I remember uh, hearing the story of how one of uh, a pastor friend in Texas became a Christian. And he, they, he was at North Texas University, go Eagles, right? He's in the top bunk. And this guy from crew comes into his room and looks at his roommate and is sitting down with his roommate. And this guy is just overhearing the gospel, right? And the roommate goes, eh, not interested. And the guy in the top bunk goes, I've been waiting to hear that my whole life. And the guy on the top bunk becomes a believer. Now he's a pastor, and he's just faithful and teaching. What happened? Well, that guy in crew, he was aiming here. He was beating these bushes. But birds flew out here. God just continues to not allow his word to return void. Amen? It'll work. And so we are to be faithful to whoever. And sometimes we don't even get to see who we're ministering to. But if you, faithful brothers and sisters of Christ, if you set your heart to follow him and to whoever the Lord puts in front of you, be faithful, God will use that situation, even if it impacts the person right next to you. Amen? You got it? Paul tells Timothy in the same way, hey, watch your life, watch your doctrine. Later he says, hey, do the work of an evangelist. And so your aim in your life in glorifying God. On Sundays, we gather to worship him. Throughout the week, we scatter into the land of what we could call modern day Babylon. And I'll quote my dad here and say that wherever the Lord sends you, that you will probably be the best and only Bible that the world will ever read. Right, Dad? So, be praying. Whoever is right next to you in your cubicle or your class, when you go to that Christmas party and you're, and you're praying, Lord, use me in the life of my boss. I pray that you would open his eyes. Guess what? Six months later, it's, it might be your boss's wife that comes to know the Lord and that speaks well of you. Lesson learned from the queen. Last person, Daniel. Daniel, what do we learn about Daniel? This chapter about how to walk humbly with God, I think it would be this. It's so easy for like a pastor dude, if you're teaching the Bible, to be like, oh, this message is probably on humility. Let me Google a couple jokes on how to be humble or a couple cool quotes on humility. And we'll just make, in general, this is a message on humility. But what does the Bible here teach us about how to walk humbly with God? I think we learned from Daniel's life here this. Ready? Don't hide the truth. If you want to be humble, don't hide God's revelation. Okay? How does the song go? This little light of mine. This little light of mine. This little light of mine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. I'm going to let it shine, hide under a bushel. Right. So are we to hide the truth under a bushel? No. We're not. 
We're not. And whoever said that, you get extra credit today. No, that's not good. That's not biblical. That's not biblical. <laughs> All right, so we're picturing Daniel. Don't picture Daniel as a 19-year-old, okay? This is, an, this is an older, seasoned man. This is not his first rodeo. He's got a few miles in him, right? It's not his first time around the block. He has seen sin. He's seen its damaging effects. He doesn't throw all caution to the wind when he talks to this king, but you can tell that he's not necessarily as gentle as before. He speaks a little more rough to this ungodly king. He is respectful, but he's not, I think he's just, he's shortened to the point. Hey, church, is that okay if Christians are shortened to the point with evil and unrighteousness? It is. It's okay. Christians who are filled with the Spirit and they're overflowing with the fruits of the Spirit, like kindness and gentleness and self-control, it doesn't mean that Christians are pushovers. So watch how in Daniel's humility to God's revelation, he doesn't hide the truth. So again, the story goes like this. We're just turning this story over and over. The king calls him in. And then he tells Daniel, hey, interpret the writing. And if you do, you can have all these treasures. And you can wear this robe. And you can be the third in command. And Daniel says, keep your gifts. I don't want your money. Give it to someone else. What? You think I'm in this for the money? Really? And then... He reads it. He interprets it. And then he starts telling King Belshazzar about the pride of his father, King Nebuchadnezzar. And then I want to see us, uh, I want to see like all these words together. Meet me in verse 22. This is Daniel speaking to the king after the interpretation. He says, verse 22, and you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and the lords, your wives and your concubines, have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath. Beautiful. We just we sang about that this morning. And whose are all your ways you have not honored? Wow. So a while back ago in Santa Rosa, California, anyone ever been there? In the news, there was a hundred robins that were reported dead on the road and on the sidewalk, and they all had um, they all had like stained beaks. And there's a little research done. And uh, apparently, all of them had been eating berries that fermented on the branch. And because of unusually cold weather, they, um, they fermented. They got old. All the birds ate them and died. And they died of, of drunkenness. So 100 birds. Okay. After reading Daniel 5 you could have this uh, the same conclusion that King Belshazzar, um, that he, 
that um, he's got a problem with drinking, and that's it. He's a drunk. That's not it. That's not it. That's not what Daniel confronts, is it? The problem wasn't alcohol. It was arrogance. And for Daniel, and this is for me, and I think it's for us too, it would be so easy to hide the actual truth and just keep it at a nice Midwest level, right? (laughs) It would have been easier, watch this, it would have been easier to lie to him, for sure. Like, so here's the words, but I really just want to say that God loves you, and I do too. Now, is that true? God, lo- It is true. It is true. That would have been lying to him. It would have been a half truth. He would have given them the actual truth. It would have been easier to keep it on the surface at a behavioral level and say, hey, you have just got to stop all that drinking and then you're going to be okay. But the deeper thing that Daniel did, that he was committed to because he was humble before God, was that he told him the condition of his heart. He said, you have, you have lifted yourself, yourself up and you have not honored God above all. And I think we do this too. I think we lie to people all the time. I think in our silence, we lie to people. We gloss over sin because we value nicety over their eternal destiny. And sometimes by not saying anything, we affirm evilness. Sometimes we give behavioral counsel or we won't give any counsel at all. And we will write it off with Christianese terms like, well, I was a good listener. But you need to know that Daniel wasn't put in Babylon to be a good listener. And we're not put here today just to listen alone. Don't write me an email and say, Mike doesn't think we should be good listeners, okay? (laughs) You know what I mean? But friends, just with a gospel lens, praise the Lord that Jesus Christ didn't do that to us, that he didn't lie to us, that he wasn't passive about our sin, that he didn't just like put us off or was silent towards that, that he didn't gloss over anything, but he came, lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for our sins to deal with sin, which no other religion in the world does. He dealt with it so that we would know God. It wasn't a passive thing. It was very active. And thank the Lord that, that, that our Lord isn't passive towards our growth in Christ, right? He didn't just say, oh, I sent my son, it's first coming, and then just figure it out, and I'm just like, going to turn my back to you, and I'm just going to go fishing. But he is actively involved in our sanctification. He was so active initially that he empowered, he sent the Holy Spirit, and then he told the Holy Spirit what to write. And the Holy Spirit inspired, he, it, 
this, this God breathed out his very words so that it would be so clear to us. It would be the writing on the wall for us so that we could walk with him daily. He wasn't passive in his pursuit towards us. He was mindful and helpful with us. What am I saying? The Bible is the handwriting on the wall. And he empowers us with the Holy Spirit to illuminate us so that we can walk humbly with him. We're not left alone. A favorite hymn that I've been just, I keep coming back to in this book is How Firm a Foundation. Would you just read this verse with me? It just, it comes alive after reading Daniel 5. It says, How firm a foundation, ye saints with the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent, what? All right, now watch this. So what more can he say than to you he hath said? Have you ever taken that as a, a rebuke in the hymn? Almost a warning. Who unto the Savior for refuge have fled. Chapter 5 was written to us so that Israel would remember what happens when people don't humble themselves. It taught them how to walk humbly. Revelation came in the form of a hand then, but now we have God's word. We have the light. We have the lamp. So the question that we started off with is, hey, are you willing? You have the revelation. Are you willing to orient your life around it? Will you do whatever it says? It teaches us not to mock God. It teaches us to be an evangelist to everyone. It teaches us not to hide or shade the truth. I'm just going to invite the worship team to come up and give us uh, time to respond to this word this morning. There's a quote that I'd like to close with. It's by a, a guy named Ty, uh, Tom Eskall. And it says, Whoever cares if a person has signed 10,000 affirmations of inerrancy and orthodoxy, if he does not seek to order his life according to the plan or to the plain teaching of scripture. And so I'm not asking you to allow the Lord to evaluate every single verse in the Bible and how to obey it. The Lord knows what we can handle. What I am asking you to do is with what God has given us today in Daniel 5, will you Seek to orient your life around not mocking him, but turning the other way and living for others. Will you orient your life around the idea and the truth that God is going to use you? And it's not always in the person right in front of you. It might be this side to the right or left. You need to be open and willing and aware of how he's working. And will you, in your conversations this week, with your family members, with, with your friends, with your co-workers, with your classmates? Are you willing to, in a God-honoring, gracious way, filled with grace and truth and gentle and kind, are you willing not to hide or shade 
or corrupt the truth. That's what God has for this church this week. Take some time, pray, and ask the Spirit to reveal to you where you're unwilling so that we can seek Him together. We'll close through song.